much this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rapaxon, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweeter. And James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I was off last week on holiday, but I can't wait to get back on the show today. Yeah, so we've got loads and loads to go at today. I'm going to start with Rugby League, James. Yeah, we most certainly are, Rob. And Salford Red Devils have announced a new signing. Can you break this down for us, Rob? Yes, new signing for the Salford Red Devils. Uh, Dion Cross, uh, a winger from Widnes, uh, assigned for the Salford Red Devils for the 2022 season. James uh, he's, he's a good player. Very fast, very strong, knows where the line is well. He was uh, voted Player of the Year for Witness in 2021. He signed on a one-year deal um, for Salford. And really, um, he's got. we've got some good wingers at the club uh, with the likes of Ken Seo and Reese Williams and Joe Burgess. So it will be interesting to see how Dion fits in because obviously... I've seen his showreel, and he is a top-class player. He, he's good at making ground up the field from the, from the kicks. He knows where the line is, but... In his competition, he, he has likes of Ken Seal, who made the Super League dream team. You've got Reese Williams, who scored a 90-metre try at Wembley for Salford only a couple of seasons ago. Joel Burgess, six foot five, England international, scores tries for fun. So it really is an interesting time, and it'd be interesting to see how he gets in the team for me, James. But you know what? He's a good player. He, like I say, you don't get voted fans player of the year, you know, not every player gets voted that, do they, James? So it will be very interesting to see how he fits into our our team. Well, he's clearly a fantastic player. I mean, you just need to look at what he's done at Widnes to see that. But as you mentioned, Salford have so many quality, quality wingers. And is he in danger of potentially being a bit of a bench warmer at Salford? Or do you think he can break into that first team? Well, you, you get injuries, don't you, James? And, you know, likes of Joel Burgess can play in the centre so he will get game time at Salford will he be a regular that's the big question for me uh, obviously as we recall this we're not sure who the, who the head coach will be we'll probably talk about that next week um, so he will get games and I think it really is an opportunity for him to put his sort of nail in in, in the in the in the flag because Obviously, he'll be looking to go to that Super League level. He's been watching Super League from the outside and he fancies it as Salford. And, and with Salford, Salford is an opportunity club, James. Salford gives opportunities to players to, to play at the very top level. And that is what this kid wants. He wants to wants to achieve and he wants to go as high as he can. And Salford will take him there. Salford have got to the top level. They've got to grand finals. They've got to Challenge Cup finals. Salford are a club any more that languish towards the bottom and sort of full of journeymen, full of players who want to achieve and want to win. And he will be part of that process and hopefully part of a team that goes back to the likes of Challenge Cup Finals and Super League Grand Finals. Because that's what this team is. This team needs to be on a conveyor belt of success week in, week out, month in, month out, because this People of Salford have watched the Salford side through the years that have underachieved. But this team, for the for the players that we've got who are hungry, will make a difference. And I'm hoping he will be one of the players that take us to the promised land. Well, I think we all hope that, don't we, Rob? And mm-hmm. I mean, if he if he achieves what he achieved at Witness, then it's definitely looking like he could be that sort of player. But will yeah. his style of play fit Salford? 
I think it will, James. I think when obviously we're talking about what, how important your wingers are when retrieving kicks and looking at his show reels, he's got a great step. He's able to sort of draw defenders in and big enough, strong enough and fast enough to burst a line because that's important. If you can make 10, 15 metres on that first drive, it allows your forwards to come back and get behind the play the ball quicker. It allows them to rest a little bit. If you can have your wingers and your centres making 10, 15 metres on a, on a set, it's a massive difference. You've got him. You've got goal forward, uh, and you've got an ability to build a platform. and And I'm hoping, from what I've seen, he's, he's one of his strengths. And I'm hoping he'll be able to deliver that at Salford. But like I said before, Ken Seo, Reese Williams, Joe Burgess—they're all very, very good at that part of the game. So it might be more of a culture thing at Salford. They want their wingers to be able to come forward and get momentum early in the set. So. Let's see what he can do. We're fully behind him. We're going to be looking forward to see what he can produce. Uh, but from what I've seen, he could be a, he could be a possible star. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does for this season and for seasons going forward. But the club have announced a season ticket milestone, and how massive is this for the fans? It is. It's good. It's good. Obviously, you know. People of Salford have, have started to invest in, in the clubs emotionally and, and now physically with season tickets. Like I said before, James, they've got to grand finals. They've got to challenge cup finals. The people of Salford have started tasting success with, with the club. And the club have now said to him, well, come and join uh, you know the adventure that we're on. The more season tickets that the people of Salford purchase the, the, the more chance of getting big prizes. You get put in a draw and every every month the club pull out a, a number. It could be you. You could win uh, signed shirts. Uh, you win sort of director's tickets for home and, and away fixtures. You get a, a chance to go into a corporate box. You get a chance to possibly win a car. Uh, I think you rent a car for 12 months. But it is, you know, Think any club in the world giving the fans that opportunity to 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 enjoy watching sport and watching Salford, you know, with that luxury. And I think it's amazing. I think it's a really good idea. You're kind of hoping the people of Salford, you know, are able to engage in in that process. The club are doing fantastic things in the community, James. You know, they're in the schools, they're in the colleges, they're in the universities, uh, they're in the local sort of business areas. They're they're trying to engage in in you know, the people of Salford. And it's just a matter of the people of Salford backing them and getting behind them. Because if, if Salford can get sort of five, 6,000 at a home, a home fixture, then that takes the pressure off the likes of, of Paul King um, and Paul Trainer because obviously they aren't multi-millionaires and, and we're a community club and, you know, the, it's run in a community way. It's not massive money. So, People Salford and the businesses can get behind Salford and support them. Uh, we'll get we'll get there, and it'll be much more of an achievement. And and obviously the people of Salford will get more out of it because they'll have invested into it. And they'll when they see that success and they see them trophies coming, uh, how much of a buzz will that be for everybody who's who's been on that journey with us? Yeah, it'll be an absolutely massive buzz, Rob. And I think it's worth just being a Salford fan just to potentially get that free car. Yeah. But <laughs> but you mentioned there that the Salford fans are getting used to that success. And the more success you have, the more hungry you are for more of it. So how much pressure does that put on the players to give fans that success? I think with, with pressure, it comes, like I said before, it's opportunity, James. These players um, want to come to Salford because Salford is an opportunity 
for them. It's a vehicle to get to the highest level. And with Salford, if you go to the highest level, you take the club with you. And it's a win-win situation for everyone. It, there is, I think there is pressure, but... If you're all good enough and you're all confident enough and you're all believe enough in your own ability to, to be able to sort of win, then where's the pressure? The pressure only comes when you're not good enough or you're surrounded by people who aren't good enough. I watched Salford sides through the years, James, that weren't good enough. And you could sense it that these players were at full full throttle and there was nothing left in the tank. But I look at this Salford team and this Salford squad and we've got quality all over and quite deep as well. So that's the important thing in rugby league because obviously injuries come and, you know, squads get stretched. But I'm looking at this Salford squad and this Salford team and I'm thinking, you know, if we do get the odd injury, James, we've got quality coming in. Like we said with Dion Cross, with the four wingers that are in front of him, you know, if one drops out, he just comes in, slides in, and he's and he's as good as everyone else. So it will be fantastic. We'll be interested to see what happens, I think, you know, at the when the season starts. Because obviously we can't really, you know, go on and talk about what's going to happen with COVID and how it might disrupt the season. But don't forget, this season, at the end of the season, is the World Cup. So obviously there will be players who will be wanting to play in that World Cup. So that gives them extra motivation to play well for Salford Red Devils because they get the chance to, to to play for the country in the World Cup, which is which is probably one of the highest accolades any player wants to do. I think sport swings in round. So you're obviously absolutely over the moon that Dion Cross has joined the side. Mm. But unfortunately, on the other side of the coin, sometimes you, you lose your favourite players. And that's exactly what's happened to Salford this week. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, Pauli Pauli, one of Salford's uh, crowd favourites, uh, has, has left and joined York City Knights. Uh, Pauli Pauli was a massive second row. Uh, his thighs were about as big as my head. They were huge. <laughs> but to be fair, James, he was he was really, really good with the fans as well and, and the kids. And, you know, when obviously kids look at him, you know, my son was scared to death because he was, for him, he was as big as a house. But, he was nearly nice with him. He took pictures with him. And, and, that, and that is what rugby league is. It's kind of a bridge between players and, and the fans. And he did that brilliantly. But on the field, he was devastating as well. You gave him a short ball and he, and he with a run-up, he could, like a skittle, it was like a skittles, he'd just sort of take five, six defenders away because he was that big and he was running at such speed. Uh, and that is why he was a fan's favourite. And that's why I was... Bit upset actually when he did leave because I was thinking, you know, we lack a bit of size. Yet we brought some, you know, big people in uh, to re- to replace the people that we've lost, the likes of Lee Mossop uh, and another um, Sebastian A4 and bigger big units like that. But with Paul Paula disappearing as well, the void as 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 and in our forwards is there to see. But we have brought people in uh, like likes of Wright. Uh, you know, we've brought big forwards in to replace that uh, that aspects of the game but yeah disappointed that he's left he, he gave us plenty of great memories scoring at Wembley against Leeds in the Challenge Cup uh, final was, was was one of them magic moments that all Solver fans will remember even though they weren't there in the stadium we were all watching back at home on the TV uh, but he will have obviously put himself into Solver folklore with that um, he wish him well at York How do you think he'll get on at his new side and do you think fans will be better towards him now that he's left or do you think they'll still have a great deal of respect for everything he did at the club? 
No, I, th- I think you know nothing but respect for for Paul if Paul. Um, obviously, York City Knights are a club who are coming up through the leagues, and you know they've got different challenges. You know they've spent a lot of money on some big players, York, uh, through the years, and it's about time they started to deliver. So he will have that extra bit of pressure on his shoulders in that York team to to take them to that next level, and they might do, James, because obviously they've got you know some good some good players in that in that squad uh, and you know they could be possible promotion favourites uh, but yeah you know we're, we're sad he's gone uh, and we'll thank him for the memories that he's given us and uh, we hope that he can achieve greater things with York Now what has come as a surprise to many is that Salford have announced a link up with an international team who is it Rob? Yeah, yeah, this came out of left field this one James um, Salford have announced they've got a link up with Ghana Ghana Rugby League um, international side uh, they're going to basically provide coaches uh, and players uh, to help sort of get the the Ghanaian uh, rugby team uh, to a higher level um, they're going to provide players for us to, to, to come over here and, and, and play rugby as well. So it's a two-way street. Uh, we provide coaches for them to, to improve their sort of young kids. And I think it's great, obviously, with uh, Rugby League internationally, it's starting to grow. And Ghana aren't a, a force in Rugby League, it has to be said. But Salford are doing their bit. We're, we're saying to Ghana, you know, We'll give you the facilities, we'll give you the players, we'll give you the coaches, and we'll 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 hopefully see development and improvement over the next three to five years. This kind of thing isn't a short term fix with Ghana. If we're we're thinking twelve months, we want to see Ghana in a World Cup quarter final, not going to happen. Five years, ten years down the line, you might see them facing the likes of Scotland or Wales or the USA, and Salford will have done their bit. But then you've also got the the, the Ghanaians who are. Playing at that level might fancy a crack at Super League because don't forget Salford will have a reserve side they'll have a uh, sort of a youth system in in hopefully in process in the next sort of five years so they may be able to come to England uh, and sort of be educated in that rugby league system uh, and be and go back to Ghana better players which will only help them and the, the the structure they have in Ghana I mean Ghana aren't renowned for being a world force are they so where do you think this initiative has come from yeah, it was. It came out of total left field by the by the sound of it, James. Um, obviously, we we do the uh, the Devil in the Detail podcast, and we've got uh, sort of forty hardcore listeners from Ghana. Um, so that I'm not going to sort of claim responsibility for this bit of magic, James. But um, <laughs> you know, what? I'm like a lot of conspiracy conspiracy theory, and the facts are there's 31 people listening in Ghana, and then suddenly something have a link up. Well, I'm absolutely delighted, Rob, that I get the opportunity to speak to the man who's who's helped develop <laughs> Ghanaian rugby. But, uh, obviously, obviously, they're going to get a lot out of this. They've got quality coaching coming from Salford that's going to help bring them on. But what are the benefits for Salford? Do you think, obviously, there's a lot of athletic people from Ghana and yeah. they have this initiative and they've got the desire to improve at rugby. Do you see in 10 years' time that they can genuinely be bringing in a lot of quality players to Salford? Yes, James, I do. You know, it's another um, sort of pipeline, you know, obviously dehumanising uh, sort of players. It's another pipeline of, of of players who will come into our game. And if they aren't good enough to play for Salford, they might go to the likes of Oldham or they might go to the likes of Swinton. They'll get a career out of it, James. And it's only going to help, you know, them as people. It's only going to help sort of the game in Ghana because the kids in Ghana now have a have a have a dream. They have they have the ability to to 
to play and train for the next 10 years. And then if you are good enough, you get the chance to go and play for Salford Red Devils in the European Super League. And then that's, you know, that just helps everybody. It helps you, it helps the club, and it helps everybody. Don't forget, Salford have got link-ups with Wales as well. Um, so we, we have different, you know, link-ups in, in different areas, which is great. So, yeah, very excited about that. A lot of great work from Paul Trainer, uh, one of the Salford Devils directors, who, who is a big hand in, in this part of the, the process. And you're kind of hoping uh, that, obviously, we can see the, the fruits of their labour uh, in the next three to five years. He always said, Ian Blees, he said he'd love to see five Salford lads in five years, you know, playing in this year, in this year. But let's be fair, I, it doesn't really matter to me where they come from. They could come from the Valleys. They could, from, could come from Ghana. If, if Salford are making sort of the top five every season, and it's great news. Well, I mean, it's an extremely exciting time for Ghanaian rugby fans, and I'm delighted that they have you to thank for that. <laughs> but moving on now to Swinton Lions, and they've announced a couple of contract extensions for some of their players. Yeah, great news for Swinton Lions. Uh, contract extensions for Paddy Jones. Uh, he was voted 2019 Man of Steel Um for Swinton so he's a, a very good uh, sort of player uh, for Swinton so it's great that they've managed to get him uh, tied up they've got Dean Meadows he's also uh, had an extension Billy uh, Bricknell he's a very good player as well for Swinton so I think it's great that Matt Swinton Lions have managed uh, to tie these players down because obviously you know being relegated last year was a disappointment but they've bounced back they managed to keep you know some of the best players and I think Swinton looking at this team good enough to come up yeah they've lost the likes of Lewis Roberts um, and and Ridyard and, and and they've lost you know some quality but they've got quality to, to get back up for me and these Swinton fans you know they, they've been through the mill over the years yeah and and it's a, it's a time for them hopefully to start seeing a bit of success and you're just kind of hoping that the cat can continue we can you can still you know pick up some more players in the off season and be firing ready for 2022 most certainly rob you mentioned there the man of steel award and it's fantastic that swinton have managed to keep a player and he's won an award like that but how big an achievement is it to win the man of steel well it was it was, it was swinton's man of steel 2019 but it is still a major um award really, because he has shown, you know, what it takes to be the best player at Swinton. And that's an important thing because obviously, you know, players and fans and coaching staff demand a certain level of performance. And with Paddy, he has produce that week in week out and that's an important thing because obviously fans they they look at you know players and a lot of them think oh yeah the likes of your players they come you know we take them out of the box they play for 80 minutes they're put them back in the box but it's not like that in real life is it you know they've got families they've got jobs they've got things they've got emotions going on so for him to produce some fine performances during that time shows the character of the man and he's well deserving of that award Swinton have also sent a new halfback as well haven't they yes Lewis Brogan, um, he is a fantastic player. Uh, they've re-signed him, but they've also signed a halfback, like you said, uh, Lewis Elsie from Widnes, a uh, young halfback. And I, I look at him and I'm thinking to myself, Swinton gives players opportunity, a bit like Salford. Um, and he's hoping that he gets that opportunity with Swinton and it's only going to take Swinton forward. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do. And Alan Coleman has been strengthening his backroom staff for 2022 behind the scenes. Because mm. that's, 
an important thing, you see, James, when it, when it comes to your coaching staff, you need to make sure that you trust that, you know, who will get the best out of the players for you. Alan Coleman's come in. Obviously, two later, got two later, an ex-Salford player, a bit of a legend at Salford, got the sack from Swinton um, and Coleman took over. Instead of this year, unfortunately, they went down. But he's brought people in. Connell, Connor Farrell, and Thomas Wood. Thomas Wood is the head coach of Lee Minor Rangers at the moment. And anyone who's anyone knows, Lee Minor Rangers are a top amateur side in Lee. So for him to be head coach uh, at Lee shows that he knows what he's doing. Colin Farrell's come in. He, he knows his bit about rugby league. He's been round the block a few times. He'll be able to motivate these Swinton players and also teach them things. And that's an important thing with Swinton. It's all about development. It's all about going forward. And I've I feel uh, with these couple of people that have come in and Alan Coleman at the, the head of the ship, uh, it's only going to go one way uh, for, for Swinton. It's forward. I know. Yeah, we're extremely excited to see exactly what the future holds for Swinton. But moving on now to the world of ice hockey. And who do Manchester Storm have in fixtures this weekend? Yeah. So, fixtures this week for Manchester Storm. Uh, they're at home to Dundee on Saturday. Uh, and then they're at home to Nottingham on Sunday in the Cup, James. Cup games are always important. I've always said that about Cup games um, for everybody, for the club and for the fans. Because obviously, fans, you get that kind of like a little sort of butterflies, don't you, when it's when it's a Cup tie. You know, anything can happen. Nottingham are a good side. Um, I think, you know, it will be a difficult uh, game for Storm. Dundee on the Saturday is a winnable game for me. Um, I'm thinking that they should get a result there. If we go two from two this weekend, James. Uh, you know they'll be they'll be happy with that. Yeah, I'm expecting them to be. I mean, do you think they'll go on a bit of a cut run this year? I think they will, James. I think obviously, you know, we're looking at this 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 team here, and and you know, with the players they've got, the likes of Dallas Earhart uh, and and players like that will be able to take that Storm team forward. They've been playing well, James, last couple of weeks. They picked up the odd result here and there, and that's an important thing. You've got to make sure when you start playing well, you start picking up points because when the dark days come and you start getting injuries and you start you drop, your form starts dropping off, that's when the problems happen. So you've got to pick up your wins when you can. They've started to find that, uh, and that's, an, that's a good thing moving forward. It seems, Rob, there's a bit of a, a theme today of new signings because Manchester Storm have picked up a couple as well. Yeah. Taylor Thompson has come in for Manchester Storm. He's Canadian. Uh, he's a centre. He's a good player. He scores goals uh, as well. He's already scored um, for, sort, sort of for uh, Storm. Um, he knows he knows where the goal is, and that's an important thing. I always said that with Storm, uh, that they need goal scorers. And I think this guy will add that bit of steel in front of goal, but also as a centre, he's a good defensive player. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is the kind of player Manchester Storm need to build this team around. Hopefully, he'll hang around long enough to be able to do that. Also coming back into the uh, the, the frame at Manchester Storm is Frankie Melton. Crowd favourite, like I said before, goal scorer, all the all the all the all the uh, the ducks are lining up here, James. You know, Manchester Storm are picking up the players to take them to that next level, and I'm super excited about it. Really, uh, what they've got, what they're going to achieve in the next sort of few few weeks, months, and years. Yeah, do you think Manchester Storm are going through a bit of a transitional period at the moment? 
I think they are a bit changed, but obviously, you know, we, we've 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 talked about this, haven't we? Uh, we you know, with Ryan Finity, um, he's been at the club uh, for a while, uh, and ha- where is he? Where does he think this team is? Um, obviously, with the COVID pandemic, you know, ice hockey stopped for a bit, and then they had like a mini tournament going on, so he had to kind of rejig this team. And since then, you know, he's managed to put, you know more players in what he's happy with and I'm thinking to myself if he gets a couple more players finds a bit of form you could be thinking playoffs because obviously with Manchester Storm um, we want them to be as successful as we as possible don't we and are we thinking playoffs are we thinking top three top two I'm thinking playoffs. I'm thinking this team, when you get in that playoff situation, James, anything happens. And that's an exciting thing, you see, because with playoff games, people want to play and suddenly a light comes on. And that is, that's an exciting thing. And I see this, this Manchester Storm team and I'm thinking there's a few players in that Manchester Storm team who like to switch the light on, James. Yeah, the most certainly is. But now I think we're moving on to the world of boxing and you're going to hit me with some questions, Rob. Yes, boxing, James. Uh, Canal Alvarez, the Caleb Plant, took place over the weekend, but sadly, due to recording difficulties, this show was recorded prior to the fight. But James and Paul will break it down next week, won't you? Yeah, we will. Unfortunately, we can't talk about it this week. Over the last, I suppose, couple of months, we've had some recording issues as to when the show gets done, but we're working on sorting that, and hopefully it should be sorted over the next month or so. But yeah, massive fight, and I can't wait to break down the result. Whatever it was, of course, you at home will know now. Canelo Alvarez, at the time, an incredible pound-for-pound fight, but Caleb Plant, very talented. So it'll be interesting to see how that's gone, Rob. Jake Paul and Tom, Tommy Fury have finally set a date for their super fight. Boxing fans will get an early Christmas present on the 18th of December as a battle between the YouTuber and the Love Island star takes centre stage, James. Yeah, it's mental, this, Rob, isn't it? I mean, in terms of numbers, this is probably the biggest fight of the year. Jake Paul has an absolutely huge following from his days as a YouTuber. Tommy Fury equally has a massive following from his time on Love Island, which was, of course, prime time on ITV too. So all over the world, there's fans of these two men. And, of course, there's the general boxing hardcore fan, which, resentfully, will most definitely tune in for this fight. My initial thoughts on it, the thing that stands off the page for me, Rob, is the weight class, 192 pounds. And that benefits one man in this fight, and that's Jake Paul. He's got a huge size advantage over Tommy Fury, who's naturally a 175-pound fight, uh, fighter. So he'll be stepping up 17 pounds for this fight, and that is a lot, Rob. The danger for me is that Tommy's going to be static on the night. He's going to struggle to carry the weight and his lack of mobility will allow Jake Paul to get opportunities that he wouldn't get if Tommy was at a more natural weight class. If you're a Fury fan, what you're hoping for is that Tommy Fury's natural boxing skills, his natural boxing heart, the fact that he's come from such a long and legendary bloodline, the Fury family, You have to hope that all that will be enough. I know Tyson's out there now in Vegas helping him prepare for this fight. And I hope he doesn't overlook Jake Paul because he's not just a YouTuber for me. He's a real fighter at this point. So Tommy has to be switched on 100%. I hope he's dedicated. I hope he isn't overlooking Jake Paul. And if he is, then he's in for a rude awakening. But I like to think that Tyson will drill it into him that Jake Paul has got a degree of talent and that Tommy needs to be switched on for this one. 
Uh, are the styles any different? Obviously, with Jake Paul and, and Tommy Fury. Yeah, Tommy's a bit of a boxer puncher. He's got long arms, likes to box off his jab. He can fight inside as well, but he can be a little bit sloppy here and there. He tends to overcommit to shots. He's open to right hands. He looks a bit messy when he's coming forward. But there is natural boxing skill there. He's very athletic. Of course, some will know that he was at a very high level of rugby league and actually made the decision to turn pro in boxing rather than pursuing what would have been a very successful career in that sport. Jake Paul... He's clearly a very not very novice. You can see it in his boxing style. He doesn't throw punches technically correctly, but you can see the power there. You can see the talent there. And you can sort of see that if he had more time, that he could go on to achieve things in this sport. So it's sort of whether Jake Paul has caught up to Tommy in this period of time. Has the three years of working exceptionally hard day in, day out, having unlimited money and resources to fund this boxing career, to fund what is essentially a science experiment. Is it enough to catch up with Tommy Fury, who's given years to the sport, but hasn't been particularly active and by all accounts hasn't been particularly committed to it? He's focused on Love Island. He's focused on reality TV. He hasn't given his all to boxing. And has he opened the door for Jake Paul to catch up? I'm not entirely sure, but we're going to find out on December the 18th. It's a 50-50 affair. Both men bring something to this fight, and I can't wait to watch it, Rob. You say he's not a technically um, good boxer. Does does that matter in this situation? Obviously, we're facing Tommy Fiore. He's not as technical as, as another boxer could be. It's difficult because sometimes fighters say that the less trained fighters can sometimes offer difficulties because you're not expecting them to do certain things. Mm. And the fact that Jake Paul hasn't come up through the amateur ranks does make him a little unorthodox. But that equally could play into Tommy Fury's hands because there is a degree of difference in the experience they have. Fury's been doing this for years. And the fact that he's only had 12 amateur bouts, yes, plays its part. But he's also been in the gym working. He's seen every single style in the world of boxing throughout his time in the gyms throughout his amateur career. And you'd like to hope that that can make a difference on the night, that he can figure Jake Paul out and that technically he'll have too much know-how and ring IQ for the YouTuber. Could the weight factor be the reason that Tommy Fury loses this fight? Yeah. For me, that is the biggest issue I've seen so far. If Tommy Fury would be able to come into this fight at 180 pounds or maybe even slightly less, I'd be a lot more confident. But at 192 pounds, Rob, I think he's going to be flat. I don't think he's going to be able to carry that muscle around because I've met Tommy and he's a lovely guy, Mm. but he's not much bigger than me. And I walk around at about 170 pounds. I think he's mostly muscled up. And I don't think he's a natural light heavyweight. I think he could drop down to super middleweight, at least drop. So the fact that he's moving all the way up to cruiserweight, it's just too heavy. And it is going to allow Jake Paul opportunities to strike. It is going to slow Fury down. And ultimately, is he going to be able to carry that weight round? I mean, the other week we saw Deontay Wilder try and carry around an extra 20 pounds, and it wasn't natural. Tommy Fury's in that exact same situation. The, the lactic acid is going to build up in those muscles and it's going to become difficult after it gets past round four or five. You just have to hope that his class and quality will be far and beyond anything Jake Paul has to offer. That's what he's got in this fight. It's that class. That's what Tommy Fury's bringing to the equation. And you have to hope that Jake Paul hasn't caught him up in that department. I suppose if Fury's never been that heavy, it, was that 
become a problem if the fight goes long. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Tommy Fury, I mean, people talk about his experience, but I mean, overall, there probably isn't that much of it. He did only have 12 amateur bouts and he's only had seven professional fights mm. and only two of them have been against live opponents. Jordan Grant pushed him hard and then Anthony Taylor, the MMA fighter, he came to win. But the five prior opponents to that all had massive losing records, Rob, and they weren't really offering much. And if the fight is to go long, he's not got much experience to fall behind. He's only ever gone four rounds. Jake Paul went eight with Tyron Woodley. Mm. I mean, that is a lot of experience. And it's dealing with the pressure of the big stage and knowing how to manage your gas tank over that period of time. And Tommy Fury's never done that. And he's never done that at 175 pounds. Never mind. 192 pounds where it's going to be even more difficult for him so it is a massive disadvantage for him and i suppose that's the advantage jake paul has by being the a side of this fight i mean tommy a massive superstar over here but jake paul is huge in america huge everybody knows who the man is now so he has got these advantages of he can decide and dictate what the weight class is and of course he's pushed tommy fury up to a weight class that he's not naturally meant to be at could pressure get to the young, younger brother of the heavyweight world champ? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jake Paul, yes, of course, not the most naturally experienced boxer, but he's used to the big show. Throughout his time as a YouTuber, he's used to being in front of a crowd, going up for 18 million subscribers, all of them producing content for them on a regular basis. I know he has a background in music and performing on stage. And ultimately, his last four fights, especially the last two, against Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley have been huge pay-per-view attractions. So he's used to being the main event now. He's used to the whole world watching him. Tommy Fury is not used to that. So that could well play dividends on the night. I think he is made for the moment. I saw in his eyes against Anthony Taylor that he's got a lot of self-belief and he's coming from the bloodline of the Fury family. And we know how well Tyson deals with pressure. And I suppose his Love Island background, that's going to help. But ultimately, I don't think anything can prepare you for the Jake Paul mind games. And Jake is going to try and wind him up every opportunity. I mean, they've, had, they've got a contract signed, Rob. And this is ridiculous. That If Tommy Fury loses the fight, right. he has to legally change his name to Tommy Fumbles. <laughs> and, and that's ridiculous. Can, I mean, could you imagine going into a fight, Rob, and having to change your name from Rob Parkinson to Rob Fumbles or something equally ridiculous. I mean, it's just absurd, isn't it? Straight down to Reg Office, me. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the pressure of having to change your name? And, of course, Tyson and John Fury and Huey Fury and all these men, they're such big personalities, and they're putting pressure on, on Tommy because he has to live up to the legendary bloodline, and that can't be easy, Rob. Does... Obviously, you said that Tyson's kind of involved in his camp. What do you think Tyson might take a, a kind of a more active sort of step in this in this sort of battle to try and get uh, hit the mind games of the Fury clan uh, up against the mind games of Jake Paul? I hope so, because the Paul brothers are renowned for mind games, but nobody plays them better than Tyson Fury. Mm. So if anybody can teach Tommy a tick or two of the trade, then it's him. It's yeah. the Gypsy King. Having said that, though, Tyson and Tommy, despite being brothers, they're not the same people. And just because Tyson is good at the mind games, it doesn't necessarily mean that Tommy is. He's not quite as good a public speaker as his brother, and he's not necessarily as naturally talented a boxer 
is his brother. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to go on to win World Honours just because his brother has. But something that Tommy does get out of having such a legendary bloodline is that he's used to big fights. He's been in Germany when Tyson's beaten Vladimir Klitschko. He's been in America when he's beaten Deontay Wilder. In his last fight, he was on the undercard of Jake Paul. So he has got used to big moments to a certain extent. He's got used to the nerves because when your brother goes into battle, I mean, nerve-wise, it must be just as bad as yourself going into battle because you're worried for your brother's well-being, especially against a puncher who hits as hard as Deontay Wilder. So Tommy has got little bits of experience in that, and you have to hope that he can use them and they can be integral on the night. Jake Paul is considered by hardcore box fans a fake fighter, but would you win? Would a win over Tommy Fury prove that he's an actual boxer? I mean, if you look at Olympians and other people who cross over into the professional game, who are they fighting in the fourth fight, Rob? Uh, the fifth fight, rather. Usually, people with losing records. Usually, journeymen. Nobody in the fifth fight usually takes on somebody as good as Tommy Fury. And that's including people who come from these legendary Olympic backgrounds. Hundreds of amateur fights, they still wouldn't take on Tommy Fury. So you have to give credit to Jake Paul. You can like it or you can loathe it. You can hate him or you can love him. It doesn't matter. This fight, he deserves credit because he's taken on a genuine professional boxer in Tommy Fury. Yes, a novice, but who can you expect him to fight after fifth fight? It's an incredible step up for him, and you have to respect it as far as I'm concerned, Rob. Sheffield's finest defends his world title this weekend. Break it down for us, James. Kid Galahad against Kiko Martinez, the Spaniard, and so many love Kiko because he's always willing to give us a war. I mean, many people felt he almost beat Josh Warrington in that fight. And he also, many people think he beat Zelfa Barrett as well. So he's been unlucky a couple of times on British shows. I mean, he's had legendary fights with the likes of Scott Quigg and Carl Frampton. And I think we all love him, don't we? He's a bit of a resident Brit almost, Kiko Martinez. But for me, surely father time's going to catch up with him. And I think Kid Galahad is just beginning to look better and better and better. And I, I can't see it any other result than Kid Galahad winning on points or maybe getting a late stoppage. There's a rising star in the heavyweight division of Croatia, James. What do you make of him? Alan Babic looking absolutely sensational <laughs> at the moment. I mean, the Croatian bouncer, so to speak. Uh, I don't think many people expected much from him early in his career. He looked like a bit of a slogger and just an entertaining fighter. But he put Eric Molina away, knocking him down in just inside five seconds. So an incredibly impressive performance. It's looking like... He might get matched up with Dave Allen next. I'm not particularly one who wants to see that fight because I'd like Dave Allen to stay retired because I think I think father time, due to the miles on the clock, caught up with Dave, so I won't really want to see him slung in. But Alan Babic, I think, could have some incredibly exciting fights over the next coming years, and I'm excited to see wherever this journey goes. It's unpredictable, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Dillian White pulled out of his main event at night, that night. Do you think he legitimately had an injury? Honest answer, Rob, and it's controversial, but no. I don't think he had an injury. I, I know you're shocked expression there, but he had a big fight coming against Otto Wallin, didn't he? And it was a 50-50. And are you going to risk a shot at the world heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury? Millions and millions and millions of pounds. A chance to potentially become the best in your weight class to fight Otto Wallin, who could potentially beat you. For me, it was too big a risk for him, and that's why he faked an injury. That's my personal opinion, and I think he goes into that Tyson Fury fight, and he gets the payday. He gets the opportunity to fight Tyson Fury, and he could have come on stock. So, from a business sense, he's made the right move. 
But you can't blame Otto Wallen for feeling slightly upset, can you? Because he was expecting a massive pay against Dylan White and that's all but evaporated. Let's talk UFC now, James. UFC 268 took place over the weekend, but once again, due to recording difficulties, we're having to discuss that next week. But there's loads to discuss from UFC 267, James. We witnessed an incredible upset, didn't we? Glover Texera defeating Jan Blachowicz. I mean, last week we did the breakdown for this, and I, I picked Jan Blachowicz uh, quite confidently, actually. I thought he dispatched of Glover Texera with relative ease, but the 42-year-old completely shot me, Rob. And the run he has been on has been nothing short of absolutely phenomenal. Years ago, when he was losing to the likes of Anthony Johnson and Alexander Gustafsson, we thought he was shot, we thought he was finished. So the fact that he's managed to rally back at 42 years of age and win a UFC World Championship via a second-round submission in a fight in which he was absolutely dominant against a champion who was looking from strength to strength in Jan Blachowicz, coming off a victory against the rising star Israel Adesanya. It's nothing short of incredible, Rob. What do you think went wrong for the champion of the night? I mean, to be honest, Rob, I don't think Jan Blachowicz looked 100% throughout the entire evening. I mean, maybe there was something wrong in camp. Or maybe he just overlooked Clover Texera. Or I suppose maybe we're discrediting the new champion and maybe he was just so brilliant that Jan Blachowicz just looked bad. But yeah, for me, Rob, something seemed wrong in the night. Is, is the story of the new champion the greatest story in UFC history? I mean, we've had some fantastic stories, haven't we, in the history of this sport. Michael Bisping stands out, winning a world championship with just one eye. But Glover Texera becoming a world champion most certainly rivals that. I mean, years and years ago when he was losing to Anthony Joshua, when he was losing to Alexander Gustafsson, and he looked way past it, nobody would have thought that he'd become a UFC world champion, especially not at 42 years of age. He's now officially the second oldest champion in UFC history. And the run he's been on, just incredible. Beating the likes of Anthony Smith, beating the likes of Thiago Santos, and then beating a fantastic champion in Jan Blachowicz. I mean, he was the underdog in each and every one of those fights, but he somehow came up against the odds in incredible circumstances. And that performance, it wasn't, he didn't just sneak the win, did he? He was absolutely dominant over a fantastic champion. And for me, Rob, the years and years and years of graft that Glover Texera has come into this sport, the fact that he's never necessarily been a massively revered fighter on a worldwide basis. He's never been a huge star. He's never been somebody that particularly intimidated people. So he's rose as this huge underdog, this fan favourite, this incredibly nice guy that does so much campaigning outside of the spot for so many notable causes and charitable occasions. So I am so happy for him that he's won a world title. And yes, it's one of the greatest stories in UFC history for me. Well, like you said... He's been at this years and years and years and years and years. And at 42, there's no future for that, is there? No, Rob. And that's almost the touching thing because people are lining up a fight for him against Yuri Praska, who's much younger and looks sensational and would probably beat Texera. Although I've said that so many times about the Brazilian before that I think I should just shut up and stop picking against him. <laughs> but I would like him to retire. Because as you say, you can't go on forever. And I think reaching the pinnacle of the sport, finally becoming a world champion after 20 years of sacrifice and dedication to the sport, is that not the perfect way to go out? 
Possibly, James. That's that's the thing, I suppose. You you want you want a legacy, don't you? And I think for him to go out the top would would be that, wouldn't it? It definitely would. But then you've got the issue, Robert, that when you become a UFC world champion and the way the UFC is modelled, the pay per view points, you get paid a lot more when you become the champion. So after twenty years of work, he could look at it and think, "Well, I'm finally going to get paid real money now, life changing money. We're talking in the millions." So is he going to want to take that? After years of graft, does he deserve that? Definitely. But how does that affect his legacy? If he gets knocked out in his next fight, do people forget what he's achieved? For me, Rob, I think he's probably got enough money in the world now off the 20 years of fighting to retire as a champion. I don't think he needs to carry on. But I'm also not having a million pound dangled in front of me like a little carrot. So I can't necessarily relate. It's a difficult decision. Not for me anyway, James. (laughs) <laughs> you take that million, <laughs> won't you, Rob? <laughs> What's the next uh, title fight in the light of the heavyweight division? Yeah, as I mentioned, Yuri Prohaska is the next one, and he's looking extremely unorthodox. I mean, he's coming off a win against Dominic Reyes, and he actually weighed in at the weekend as a potential backup. He's so unorthodox, so young and so talented. And as I say, I think he'd go in a favourite against Texas, uh, which is why I don't necessarily want to see the Brazilian take the fight. I want to see him retire on top. But if he doesn't... And it's looking like he won't because he's mentioning that he wants to fight Prohaska in May. And I think he'll probably be 43 by that point. It looks like that's going to be the next one. Where does the former champion go from here? Jan Bohovic just needs to go back to the drawing board, doesn't he? Figure out what went wrong in the night and how he can improve. I mean, it's no it's no embarrassing losing to somebody as legendary as Texera. And in his start of his UFC run, he lost fights left, right and centre. I mean, he, he was on the cusp of getting cut from the UFC and then he put that fantastic run together of going 10-1 and one, and he completely turned everything around. So he's used to rivaling back from adversity. So let's hope he can do the same again. There was a cracking cold main event as well. There was Petty Yan and Corey Sanderhagen put it on the line in a superb interim world title fight, which could have gone either way. Ultimately, Petty Yan just a little bit too classy on the night. But so much credit to Corey Sandhagen as well. The next fight in the bantamweight division, Petayan will get his rematch against Aljamain Sterling for the undisputed championship of the world. Many feel Petayan has a claim to that belt anyway, because of course he was winning the first encounter between the pair until he accidentally threw a vi- well, accidentally. I shouldn't really necessarily say that because it very much looked on purpose an illegal <laughs> knee. But he was up in the fight, so uh, yeah, uh, many all expecting to get revenge in this next contest. Yet another promising Russian stunned the world on the undercar, James. Islam Makachev, uh, Khabib's prodigy, and a lot of people rated him highly. I, I was one of them. I expected him to go on to win a UFC world title, but I think he proved just how good he was because he hadn't actually fought anybody inside the top 15. So fighting Dan Hooker, who was ranked number six in the world, was a huge step up for him. But he submitted him inside the first round, and he looks absolutely phenomenal. And I think he's just now one win away from getting a UFC world title shot. Has Sweden potentially produced a future superstar, James? Kamzak Shimiev just looks absolutely exceptional. I mean, he came out of the blue this time last year when he fought, I think, three times in a month on Fight Island at, at middleweight and welterweight. He didn't particularly care about the weight class. And then he he was going to jump up and a huge step up against Leon Edwards, who I think was ranked number three in the world at the time. And Kamzak Shimiev wasn't even ranked, so it was about as big a step up as you get in the sport. And the only reason he was given a chance in that fight is because of how talented he looked. 
but then unfortunately the Swede got COVID and he conducted he can he got it very badly. I mean, he was in and out of hospital and he was even talking about retirement due to the long-term effects he had from the illness. Mm. But luckily, he's rallied back now and off a year-long layoff, he stepped up against Li Jing Lang and disposed of him via rear naked choke inside the opening round and looked absolutely phenomenal. And I think now he's proven that he's not just beating tomato cans, so to speak. He's beating genuine world-level talents and that's why Kamzat Shimiev is looking so good. Let's talk darts now, James. Johnny Clayton has won yet another televised title as he emerged victorious at the World Series of Darts. Tell us all about that. Johnny Clayton is just going from strength to strength, Rob. It's amazing that this man is a part-time plasterer and not even a full-time darts player. This is his fourth televised title in just a calendar year. I mean... Where he's come from, he wasn't even meant to play in the Masters. He was only in it because the, the field was extended to 24, and he won it. Then he goes into the Premier League at a competition that he wasn't necessarily meant to be a part of, and he wins it as an underdog. He then picks up uh, the Grand Prix as well, and now he wins another title. He's just looking sensational. I mean, the run he went on, beating Gerwin Price, beating Michael Van Gerwen, beating Dimitri Vandenberg in the, in the final. I mean, there's not a more hot player on the planet right now in darts. Obviously, talking about televised titles, are they kind of sort of dotted throughout the year? And do players kind of target them? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, you have your floor events that go on throughout the year, but now the major titles are really coming to force. I mean, they are sort of throughout the year, but I mean, there's the winter period, the lead up to Christmas, the lead up to the World Championships, that's when it really gets serious for a darts player. And there's just tournament after tournament after tournament. You come out of the summer after the World Series events and the match play, and you've got the World Grand Prix. You've got the Players' Championships. You've got the World Series of Darts Finals. You've got the Grand Slam. You've got the World Championships ultimately at the end, and that's the big one. So Johnny Clayton really is hitting form at just the right time. Although, having said that, he's been brilliant all year. Is he a threat? to become the world champion in January. I'm going to make a bold prediction now, Rob. And not mm. many will agree with me because there's so many fantastic darts players with more experience. The likes of Gary Anderson, the likes of Michael Van Gogh, the likes of Gurian Price and Peter Wright, people who will be the favourites to win this tournament. But for me, Rob, Johnny Clayton is the favourite to win the world championships. You heard me right. This year, he has been nothing short of absolutely sensational. Winning the World Grand Prix, winning the Masters, winning the World Series of Darts, winning the Premier League. He just looks incredible and he's only getting better. And it's absolutely mind-boggling that he's doing this as a part-time player. I mean, throughout the bulk of the year, he's just a plasterer, Rob, working for the local council in Wales. So it's incredible what he's doing in the sport of darts. And... He's got confidence beyond his years. He never seems phased. I mean, if somebody hits back and wins a leg, he never seems worried. He gets back on his game. He plays the board. And I don't think he gets beat at this World Championships. I think at his best, he blows everybody away the way he's playing right now. It's going to take something really special to beat him. How did MBG play, James? He played quite well, Rob. I mean, he beat Mervyn King in the quarterfinal, and that was a good victory. Of course, Mervyn King was coming off the back of a couple of whitewashes, one over James Wade. So he had a bit of good form coming into that quarterfinal. So it was a good win 
for Michael Van Geeren. But ultimately, he was brushed aside in the semi-final by the ferret, Johnny Clayton. I mean, there's no shame in that. And over the past year or so, Michael Van Geeren has been going out of tournaments in the early stages. But he seems to be hitting form a little bit better now. He's still not firing on all cylinders. He's still not the Michael Van Geeren of 2017. But... From a positive perspective, he won the Darts Masters in Copenhagen, the Nordic Masters, and he looked good there. Not necessarily recognised as a major title, but still a good victory. And he's reached a final against Rob Cross in the European Championships. That was good. But again, he couldn't quite find the way to win. And he went out in the semi-finals here. Most of the players on tour will be hoping that he doesn't hit form before the World Championships. That he's not quite 100% going in. Because right now, Michael Van Gogh looks beatable. He's closing in on his best, but he's not hit it yet. So now is the time to keep winning. Because if Marco Van Gogh hits form again, then he's going to be unbeatable, like he was in 2017, when it was just almost impossible to to go up to the dartboard and beat him. So you're hoping that he sticks how he's playing at the moment. But he's getting slowly but surely back into form. But how long it will it be? But maybe his confidence goes again. It looks like it's rising and it looks like it's building, but you just never know. Poland's number one darts player got close once again to a major title, didn't he, James? Yeah, Krzysztof Ratajski, a bit of a weird player for me, Rob, because he's a consistent player. And I was having a conversation today with a friend of mine, actually, about whether he'll ever win a PDC major title. And we were saying, well, it wouldn't surprise us if he did. It wouldn't surprise us if he didn't. He's just a consistently good, not great player for me, Rob. I mean, he's on the cusp of a spot in the Premier League, but he seemed on the cusp of that for years. I don't know what's not clicking with Christoph Ratajski. I mean, he's been in, in semi-finals a couple of times now. I mean, I mean, he was in one against Dimitri Vandenberg at the match play, wasn't he? He was in another here. But he's never quite looked like winning a major title. But I suppose slowly but surely he's grinding away and finding his way closer. Maybe next time he'll be in a final and then maybe down the line he can win it. But Christoph Ratajski, a good player. And maybe a spot in the Premier League next year will help bring him on. Is that is that the golden sort of rule for him? He needs to be able to develop and get to that level. Yeah, I think getting in the Premier League could bring on a lot of confidence for him, and just getting to a major final, I think, will help him because so many of the hardcore darts purists really believe in Christoph Ratajski, but I'm not 100 percent convinced yet. He's been coming on for a while now, though, so hopefully, slowly but surely, for the Eagle, he will get there eventually. Final darts question: Who's your pick? for the Grand Slam of Darts, James. I want to go with Johnny Clayton again, but I just gave a massive speech about him winning the World Championship, so (laughs) I feel like I should go with another name. And I'm going to say that Rob Cross could potentially win the Grand Slam. He He didn't qualify for the World Series of Darts, but he did play well in the European Championships and openly won it. So maybe if he's hitting form at the right time, he can come in and win this tournament. I don't think Josie de Souza will retain the title. I don't think James Wade will particularly put in a good performance coming off what he did in the World Series. So I'll say my second pick is Rob Cross. Yeah, I'm going to be older to that, James. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm super excited. And, you know, with, with the darts, it's, it's anyone can win it, can't they? Yeah, they can. I mean, there's so many good players and you do get upset wins. I mean, it was interesting to see how big a part the crowd play especially during COVID, because when it was behind closed doors, we had winners for the first time, the likes of Dimitri Vandenberg, the likes of Jose D'Souza, who picked up major titles without a crowd being there. 
But now moving on quickly, just to close the show, Rob, on football. England yeah. have got a couple of games coming up this week. One against Albania, one against San Marino. You expect them to completely walk past San Marino. And again, Albania should be a fairly comfortable game. Yeah, I think obviously Gareth Southgate, uh, the qualification path has been, you know, quite good, James. And, you know, expecting two wins and in two games there. The players uh, will be confident with the results that have happened so far. And we're kind of hoping, obviously, with a minute to go, James, that we're able to, to pick up these wins and qualify for the European Championships. Yeah, I think we've done that. And I think we'll go on to uh, potentially win the Europe. Uh, to win to win the world championships, this is for now, isn't it, Rob? I mean, I think our, our calendars are all over the place, aren't yeah. they? Because of course, it, it going into Qatar uh, in the winter next year. But uh, quickly, Rob, just while I've got a little bit of time, and all FIFA have done the announcement, they want to do World Cups every two years rather than every four years. For me, that reduces the magic a little bit. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's all about the money, James, and it. You know, they, they want the TV revenues, don't they? And they want you know people to to spend money on the game. And I think it's wrong. I really think uh, World Cups and World Championships should be stay kept where they are. Uh, and you're hoping, obviously, that money, even though it is an important part of any sport, it shouldn't rule the sport uh, totally. And you're kind of hoping uh, that the the people in FIFA and UEFA uh, see sense and don't do anything silly like that. It's been a great show really enjoy talking all things sport in Salford on at Salford City Radio don't forget to tune in every Tuesday and we'll see you next week for more Salford sporting chat on Salford City Radio